You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, we're all fired up for another edition of the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast. And since we have a very special guest standing by, we are not going to make him wait another second. The great Joakim Noah is joining us from his home in Florida. Episode 57 of Give Me the Hot Sauce. Joe, thanks for joining us. And I know everyone is excited to see you back as part of the Bulls family. You're serving as an ambassador. You've been back for a couple of games. Uh, what's it like to be back at the United Center and, and, and feeling the love from all the fans again? Man, it's, it's, it's so exciting. You know, it was such a, being in Chicago, playing with the Bulls was such a, a special time of my life, you know, and uh, made a lot of um, great memories and a lot of great friendships. And uh, it's just, I'm just proud to be back in, in some type of way, you know, and, you know, as a community ambassador, I love doing work in the community. So it's a, uh, a very organic transition for me. So I'm uh, I'm just really excited to be back. What was it like, Joe, you know, getting with your ex-teammates? I know what it feels like when you haven't seen guys in a long time and you just kind of pick up where you left off. How was it seeing all the guys come back to honor you? Man, I, I mean, it was, it was really special, man. And the Bulls did such a good job of, uh, I didn't really know. So everything was a surprise, really. Uh, you know, they just said, you know, we want to show you some love for everything you did over the uh, 10 years playing in, in Chicago. And, you know, I mean, Tabo Cephalosha, Kirk Heinrich, Brad, like there were so many guys who pulled up. Kirk Thomas. It was just so fun to, to see everybody and, you know, um, have a few drinks and 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 just talk shit. You know, it was it, I, I couldn't it, it couldn't have been any better, you know, and to, to get love from. From your old teammates, I think that nothing, nothing's more important than that. You realize when basketball is over, all you have at the end is, is your memories with these guys. You know, um, I think more than, more than winning and more than anything, I think that that's, that's what it's all about is your relationships and the relationships that you have uh, throughout the journey. So it just felt good that the guys, like a lot of guys came back and we got to have a, have a moment and just like talk about the journey and it was dope man it was really dope how about your guy brad miller what's he up to now we know he's a big uh, hunting enthusiast uh, in the midwest and and he was you know you're you've been known as a character but brad was a character himself he, he was an interesting guy what was your relationship like with brad and, and how cool was it to see him again uh 
Well, we call him the we call him Duck the Duck. Right. <laughs> so, it's always good to see him, man, because you know, it, as as different as we are, as diff- we're, we're from really different shapes of life. You know, my I grew up more. You know, my father's African, my my mother's Swedish, but grew up as hippies. You know, more like a hippie vibe to to our family. You know, he's a country country. You know, bumpkin. Right. Uh, so, for for it, even though we come from really different backgrounds, you know our brotherhood uh, was unmatched. Man, he was always there for me, always very very supportive. You know, I was I was a rookie. You know, I didn't I didn't know no better, and I was a little wild, was wild and free, and he was wild and free too. But just always was very professional. Um, but you know, definitely a definitely a free spirit. You know, so we mesh right away, and he's somebody who who taught me a lot of game on and off the court, but especially on the court. I mean, I'll never forget there was one time where where Brad just like pulled me aside with a big dip in his mouth after practice, <laughs> and and he's like, "Look, man, you're not going to be a great offensive player. That's you know, but you know what? What you're going to do is you're gonna you're gonna learn these passing angles and." understanding when to do a dribble handoff and understanding when to throw the backdoor pass. And he just, it was a few things that I'm sure it was, you know, I'm sure he learned it from Vlade, to be honest. Yeah. And, um, and who was that coach over there, Sacramento, that great coach over there? Rick Adelman. Rick Adelman. Rick Adelman. Yeah. So I'm sure it's like a a mixture of, of, of those two guys. And so Brad had that knowledge and he, you know, he took the time. I was a rookie and, uh, he took the time and, you know, it, it, it really, it really helped me a lot in my game. You know, I had a confidence about me, you know, where it was now, it wasn't just about bringing energy and, and, uh, and grabbing offensive rebounds, which was my bread and butter. But, you know, he, 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 uh, he showed me a few things to make me, make me a, a, a better passer. Remember that so, time Shaq took a swing at him, man, if you'd have connected that, that'd have been scary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Brad was, Brad was a, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's, he wasn't scared to start some shit now. No. He was always, yeah. yeah, he was tough. Half the time it was, half the time it was his fault, but you know, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, you know, when, when, when you're in the, when you're in the trenches like that, there's no whose fault it is. You know, you just got your teammates back and that's just the way it is. Talk about how close those teams that you played on. I mean, with Derrick Rose, you had Boozer, you know, Kirk Heinrich. Lou uh, Aldang. Lou Aldang. And, you know, I mean, talk about those teams and 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 what it was like playing. You guys were so close to getting to a finals. And just a couple of bad lucks here and there, man. It was just so close. You know, I mean, I, I just think that the brotherhood is what I'm the most proud of you know, with those guys, you know, I mean, Derek's mom and my mom still talk on the phone to this day. I I walked into my mom's room the other day. She was talking, she was talking with Brenda, you know, they have our brotherhood is, is, is real. And that's what I'm the most proud of because there are teams that win championships don't, that don't get that kind of camaraderie. Like I, I, I work with Luol on projects in Africa. Like we, we, you know, I sat with Lou on the plane for five years. So our, our brotherhood is, is what it's all about. And I feel like I was really blessed to be a part of a team, uh, 
part of a team that kind of came up together. We all got drafted together by the Bulls. And, you know, you realize that that's, that's really rare. You know, guys are free agents and that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball game. Like we came in, we got our first checks together, our first contracts together. We, we wanted to win a championship. We had championship aspirations and we never, you know, there were times where, you know, when Derek got hurt, you know, people started talking shit and, you know, look at our comments. Look how we were as a team. We were tight. There was never anybody talking bad about each other. When I was same thing with me is like, you know, at the end of, of my bulls run, when I was, um, I was struggling, I was struggling. And I'm sure there were many times where they're like, yo, maybe we should get Joakim out of there. You know, I'm sh- like, I know Pooh Poo had my back. I know Derek. I'm not out. That never, never, um, that never changed. And you know what? I think that goes a long way. You know, when you, when you have your guys back, especially in those times, because you're going to go through adversity during the, during, during your, your, the season. When you have your brothers back like that, that's what it's all about. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that these guys are still my brothers to this day and they will be forever. You know, you know, one thing, Joe, when you talk about having each other's back, cause I, I know you guys were super tight cause I travel with you guys. I'm around you guys all the time. So <laughs> behind the scenes, I know what that camaraderie was like. Plus I was on championship teams as well. Tell, tell us what you, what was going through your mind when Derek got hurt and it seemed like everybody turned on him except for you guys. How did that make you feel? I know it made me feel, I was really pissed off about it, to be honest with you, how quickly people forget. But how did it, how was it in the locker room with all you guys since you guys were so close and you saw your brother going through, you know, this adversity, especially being here, living in Chicago, being from Chicago, to see some of the city turn on him? Well, it, you know, it's, it's, it, you know, it was a, a very emotional time for, for a lot of people, you know. Um, what Derek represented to the city was, was, uh, was a lot, you know, and he was, he was very young. And, you know, I mean, just the hope that he brought because, he, because of his talent was, was unreal. Like, he walked into the gym and you wanted to, you know, have your A game because you knew that this guy was going to, you know, this guy was going to lead us to, to the championship. You know, that, that was the, the energy around the city at that time when Derek was playing his best basketball was, it was a feeling like I, I never felt that before. And, you know, I think the city felt the same way, you know, it was a hometown kid, you know, against all odds coming, coming from the bottom and, and, uh, and he represented for, for a lot of people who don't, who don't have that hope, you know? So um, I always protected that because that was, because it, it was always about more than basketball for me. And I always protected that because I know what Pooh represented, represents. And, uh, you know, when he got, when he got hurt, a lot of people were, you know, a lot of people were emotional and had a lot of things to say and nobody understand what it's like to be, uh, MVP of the league at 21, you know? And um, so to me, more than that, more than all that stuff, Derek's my brother and I just want him to be all right, you know? And there's a lot of, I look back, man, and we can talk about things right now. And 
it's real. You know, it's we're we're brothers, and you know, we definitely had uh, times where he didn't agree with things, some things I said, and um, and we can talk about those things now. And it's just it's uh, something that I, I I don't I don't take our relationship for granted at all because what he'd been through was really tough and he wasn't the type of guy to like talk about it. Um, but just to see him now, you know, and to see him happy and enjoying playing basketball and, and enjoy Chicago, you know, and be happy with the city and like not be bitter about what happened. And, um, I think that that's something that I'm, 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 I'm really proud of him for that. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, how I feel about the city feeling the way they did and having mixed feelings, you know, that's, it's, it's part of, it's part of it. It's part of the game. I'm sure that happened with you a lot too, Stacy. Yep. Hey Joe, I think one of the reasons why you guys were especially tight is that you almost had to be united because you had a, you had a head coach who, who pushed you to the limits of your physical and, and mental exhaustion. Uh, what, what was your relationship like with Tom Thibodeau? I know you've told a lot of great stories about coming back to the gym just to get some shots up, and Tom was always in his office and wanted to put you through a full workout when you just wanted to, <laughs> to get a couple of shots up. Was that was that a tough thing as an athlete uh, to go through that, or, or looking back on it, uh, do you look back at it fondly? You know, I think that people also underestimate, you know, we had championship aspirations, and winning a championship is probably one of the hardest things that you have to go through. Like you have to, yeah, physically exert yourself. You got to mentally exert yourself. You're, you're pushing yourself to, you know, limits that most people don't. And um, so I think that most people don't understand that part of it, but I've been dealing with that. You know, I grew up around that. Like my dad was, my dad when my dad would train, I would see him train like that till he was exhausted. I would, so I grew up around that kind of environment. You know, you grew up, you want to be a basketball player. You want to be one of the top 400 players. You don't just get there by just chilling. You gotta, you gotta work your ass off. And I kind of came from that cloth. So it worked for, with me with Tibbs. Like we, we butt heads a lot, but at the end of the day, to this day, like I see Tibbs, I'm really happy to see him because there's no, I have no regrets about anything. And, you know, we have a, a, a we have a really good relationship because, you know, he, yo, he cared. He cared. He pushed, he pushed us, but he was, man, he was, he worked just as hard, yeah. if not harder. So, um, you know, a lot of, if, it was tough because there was injuries and all this stuff. And, you know, people, you know, you're in the game. You're, when you're in the game, people are going to criticize and everybody's going to have things to say. But at the end of the day, yeah, we were in a position. We were, you know, having championship aspirations is, is, is rare. And we were what we were that young team that had a shot. So he pushed us. When we look back at the, the classic matchups, Joe, between you know, Cleveland before the, the Beatles and the Heatles or wherever you want to call them with LeBron James. The one thing I always liked about you is you never backed down from anybody. Matter of fact, I always said that you could have played with us because of your mentality, 
because you weren't trying to be friends with people. You were you were trying to beat them. And that's the mentality that you have to have. You see so many guys now, everybody's buddies, they get on the banana boats and they, <laughs> you know, they have a good time. And and so sometimes they lose their competitive edge. But you never seem to lose your competitive edge. You always wanted to 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 win and and do whatever it takes to win. So so tell the listeners a little bit about your mentality. Um you know, I, I think that, you know, as a competitor, yeah, it was harder for me when I was friendly with somebody. So I wasn't, that was definitely not um, the energy that I wanted to, you know, put out there is that I was friends with the opponent. That's, that's for sure. Um, you know, and I think as a competitor, it's true. Like the, the, the guys that I got into it with were our biggest threats. And I mean, I'm sure that that happened just organic. I'm sure they felt the same way about us, but um, that's just the way it was, you know. At the end, of, I it, it's quick because I was definitely a guy while I was playing that if I went to a restaurant or something uh, and I saw somebody from another team, it was if somebody was sitting at the table, it was just not. It was not possible for me. I was not like I couldn't. I couldn't do that. And I realize now that I'm done playing, you know, um, I don't want to live my life like that anymore. You know, I want to be about um, uniting and um, uniting people and bringing people together. When I see, you know, I went out last night, I saw all the Denver guys, like it was, it's all love, you know, it's like, it's cool to see guys now and like be able to talk about them, tell them, you know, it's, it's cool what you're doing. I'm looking at it from a different perspective, but. For some reason, it's like, you know, when you're wearing those colors and they mean that much to you, it's like, nah, fuck the other side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're the same way. We, we had the same way with the same kind of, if we saw a Detroit Piston it's at a right. resort, yeah. it was on site. Or a New York <laughs> Knicks player was on site. I mean, that's that's how deep the hatred was. But the, the, the cool thing you just brought up was once you're done, you don't live that way anymore. You're not in that, you still are competitive, but not to the point where, you know, that's over, you know, overtaking you. You you you, you look at them differently now. They're just a, a man, another guy doing different things. You're not going to bang up against them. You're not, so you look at them totally different than you did when you were playing. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it is. Uh, it's crazy how that changes. Um, and, you know, it's like back then it was, um, you know, yeah, I was not trying to be buddy buddy with anybody, but now it's 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 okay. Like it's okay to you know have a glass of wine and talk about life. You know, we we, we as hoopers, you you actually have. You, it, it's interesting to hear people's stories and how they came up and see what the diff. You know, see what you know. Maybe you can do different for your kids, or if they want to hoop one. You know, just like yeah. it's it's nice to be able to listen and, and listen to other people. Uh, even if they come from the other side, you know? Hey, Joe, the world first got to know you during your college days at, at Florida, and the joy that you played with was so much fun to watch. You guys won back-to-back titles, you and uh, Al Horford and Corey Brewer, just a great group there. And you played for Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan now in Chicago is coach of the Bulls. Kind of weird how a life works that way. When you reflect back on your Florida days, what what are your what stands out your memories back to back NCAA championships you guys were kings of the world. <laughs> uh, it's definitely full circle, you know. But I really love Coach Donovan from the beginning, you know. Uh, 
um, when he recruited me, when I talked to him the first time, I knew that this was going to be, this was going to be my guy. And this, he's another guy who Jim rat always wanted to be in the gym. And, um, you know, he, he, as a head coach, when your head coach is doing your individual instruction mm-hmm. and I only had two coaches do that for me or three, my, I had Bill McNally, who was my high school coach, Billy Donovan and Tibbs. And you don't, when your head coach is doing your individual instruction, you know that you're with, you know, you're being cared for. So you feel protected and, and those were the three best coaches of my life. Tell, tell our, tell our listeners, you know, what it was like for you growing up with your dad, who was a, was a world-class yeah. tennis player. Your mom was Miss Sweden. You know, she was almost Miss Universe. I mean, you got, you got all these credentials, you know, all this bloodline. And then here you are, you know, you would think that you would play tennis, but you gravitated to basketball. So tell us a little bit how that happened and how, you know, growing up uh, with your dad, Yannick Noah, and, and being in that environment and seeing those things as a young kid. Uh, well, I think that, First of all, it's, it was a blessing to have a, a, um, a father who was a professional athlete because I got to see how hard he trained, you know, and I think that that's something that really shaped me because I knew how, what it took to, to get there. Even though it was a different sport, you know, I saw the energy that he put into it. You know, I saw the, the, the preparation that goes into it. And so that, that helped shape me for sure. And we were always, when, you know, my parents were divorced at a young age, but I would go running with him. And he was always, you know, when I would get tired, I could just always, you know, that was what was interesting to see to, to him. It was like to see how I dealt with training in the red, training tired. And was I going to be a bitch and, and, and stop? Or would I, was I going to, you know, keep fighting? He was, he was, he was big on that. And then, um, and also, you know, my father was, uh, uh, you know, he won the French Open before I was born, but, you know, he was a larger than life personality in France. And um, I think that it's also, I think that a lot of my demons was being able to, um, you know, have my own, my own way and my own voice. And, you know, it's, it's, it, and, and not being somebody else's shadow. I think that that was something that, you know, shaped me as, as a player. And it's one of the reasons why I played so hard was to have my own identity. Joe, you've always uh, related to the people of Chicago. You've always reached out to help those in need. And your work through the Noah's Ark Foundation has is, is been ongoing, even in, when you were continuing your playing career elsewhere. What is it about the city that, that really touches your heart and wants you to be, be a part of it? Well, I love Chicago, and Chicago gave me so much. They were always so supportive. and um, But Chicago is a place also that carries a lot of pain. And um, a lot of it's a lot of violence in Chicago, and you know, I just felt like as a as a player, you know, it was very important for me to go out there and 
and you know show face and show support and and more than anything just just listen you know and i think that that's something that um i did a lot while i was while i was playing for the bulls i knew what our team represented and you know i came from a completely different environment so for me it was just putting myself out there and getting out of my comfort zone and seeing where i could be helpful i think was a it it almost became just as important to me as as the games um as as playing and um and you know and to the, and now to this day i think that that's something that i'm really proud of i feel like when i walk around chicago my friends come from a lot of different backgrounds um you know rich poor black white um you know i can navigate a lot of different worlds in chicago and i think that that's something i'm i'm really really proud of that because that's i know that that's something that's i know that's rare i know that's rare yeah, that's. I think that's one of the reasons, not just because of your hard play, but you walk the walk and you talk the talk. Uh, you were in the communities. You were, you know, trying to curb gang violence, uh, trying to bring police and gang members together. You had these basketball themes you set up. Um, you know, there's a lot of things you're doing in the community that people still talk to, talk about to this day. And it's good to see you coming back and uh, going to be in, in that role again. I appreciate that, Stace, you know. <laughs> well, Stace, you were there, so, you know, I appreciate you, you know, talking about it. And, um, you know, I think that that's what, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, you, you're, giving, you're given such an unbelievable platform when you play for the Chicago Bulls. And it's important to make it, you know, when you're playing in the games, it's just, it's hard to do anything else. You're exhausted all the time. You know, you're giving yourself you're giving everything to the game. But when you have a little bit of time, um, especially in the off season, it's like nice to, you know, I, I was always big on like, even after big wins on Saturday nights, even like just going out, going out, hit the town, just touch, just touch on the people, like feel the vibe of the city. And it just resonated with me right away. And uh, I always tried to, when I played, when I played in the game, I always tried to, you know, represent that, what I felt like, you know, this, this, this is what this city is all about. So represent that when you're out there. That's awesome. That's awesome. That you, yeah. it, you know what? That message is so important, especially to these younger kids that are coming up in the, you know, in the organization that they need to know that it's glad that you're going to be around because they'll be able, cause you're still young enough that, you know, they recognize when you play, they know all your, you know, they know who you are and for you to be able to give them some guidance to help them. So some of these guys might want to get in the community, but don't really know how to do it, but to have you here and uh, you know, giving them some guidance will be very, very good for the organization. Yeah. I appreciate that Stace. That's the, that's definitely the plan but also being very respectful to the, you know, what's, what they have going on, because I also know how hard it is, you know, to play 82 and um, the bulls are kicking ass right now. And I'm super proud of the guys, you know, I'm, I'm Torian green was a college teammate of mine. Who's one of the, um, one of the coaches now. So I kind of get the scoop on what's going on, the inside scoop of what's going on in there. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I always, whatever I can do to help, you know, to, to be of assistance and uh, help, I'll, I'll do it. Whether it's community or just advice on the court, whatever, whatever you get, whatever the Bulls need, you know, it's just, I also know I'm not a player anymore. So it's, 
it's just it's it's it can't, it can't be imposing you know it just yeah. it just just it just has to be okay Joaquim came he helped in some kind of way and that's that's what I want to be a part of Curious, Joe, who you like to watch in today's game? Obviously, there's a lot of great individual players out there. I, I was wondering to get your perspective on on the whole evolution of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Here's a, here's a kid who, who grew up poor in Greece and came over to the States at 18 years old. And, and to see him develop, I mean, he, he's become such a great personality. Some of his press conferences during the finals where he, where he talked about life were just so interesting. And he had a press conference recently where he was talking about how he discovered dunking Oreo cookies and milk. So, I mean, he's really evolved into this, into this larger than life personality. And, and here's a guy who came, came to this country really not knowing much about anything about the American way. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like how, like people care about him dunking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oreo. No, no. <laughs> I was just like, then this, this is really what made TV today. Like, that's <laughs> 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 Yo, are we really talking about cookies and Oreos right now? Like, that's just happening right now? <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, Giannis is, you know, his. I think it was his first playoff series was uh, against us. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so we won that series. And I remember Giannis, had, like Dunleavy was uh, like, you know, he was very clean cut. Yeah. You know, but he was... He was tough as hell, he, and he was borderline, borderline always doing like little dirty shit. Like, you know, <laughs> but I, I love that. I love that. You know, that's 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 part of it. Some guys are just like that, and he got in Giannis's head so bad. Like he was just, you know, just hitting him in the, you know, yeah. little elbow here and there, and, and like he was outplaying Giannis. But Giannis was what set. He was eighteen years old. He was a baby. And I just remember he completely lost his composure and he had a play where he just leveled yep. Dunleavy. Dunleavy hit the three and he just got thrown out the game. Yeah. And and then like I just remember watching that that finals game and seeing him just knocking down the free throws and his composure and how I'm like, wow, how five years it just like how how his whole, you know, how that changed so fast just it just shows just his growth uh, as a player. And uh, it's just, it's, I'm just, it's so cool to, to see that and to have like that perspective, like just being, being out there and playing against guys and competing against guys. And you, he's like an 18 year old kid. And now all of a sudden he's like the MVP of the finals, you know? Yeah. And also like, see, and like even Bobby Portis, like that's my rook. And, and now I get to see him on the big stage, big stage kicking ass. Like, I'm proud of that. I feel like I had something to do with that because when he was a young boy, I was the one, like, he was my young boy. Right. Yep. So when you when you look at today's big man, because, I, you know, they always say when you look at guys who revolutionized the position based on their skill set. So you got, like, you know, Scotty. Scotty Pippen, for instance, is the you know considered the the point forward that started the you know this LeBron James, you know Carmelo, these point forward type of guys. I kind of liken you to being the the center that started the ball handling and the passing off the bounce and getting the ball off the glass because you didn't really see 
centers at that point. Centers are always back to the basket guys, but you know, Thibodeau allowed you to do so much with the basketball. They ran the offense through you. You could get the ball off the glass, go coast to coast, get a fast break. Guards hit a guard in the corner for three. And I and I always said I thought you kind of revolutionized that part of the game because now you see Jokic doing it. You see a lot of these big guys doing things that you were doing before they came in the league. I appreciate that, Stace. You know, um, you know, I think that the game, I played the game, um, it was definitely different. And uh, I think that every, everybody kind of, if it, it, I think it's more on the coaching too. It's just like understanding what guys' strengths and weaknesses are and, you know, putting guys in the best position to, to be successful. And, you know, some guys, some, some coaches, you know, put players in, in boxes and like, you're going to do this and this, and that's all we want from you. And, uh, you know, the, my, my, my favorite, my best coaches that I had in my life, you know, always allowed me to, to be me and express myself. And, and, you know, and I, I appreciate that from my coaches and I always tell them that, you know, and then, you know, it's like I saw yesterday, I was out last night and I saw Jokic in the club and, you know, I'm, I love, I love watching him play. I think he's an unbelievable player. And so I told him that yesterday and, you know, we had a couple of drinks together and we talked and it was just like super, it was, it was super cool. So, you know, guys who, it was cool to, to, to feel, uh, you know, the respect from some, from the top players who kind of, you know. I know, I know he, he remembers and he, he respected what I brought to the table. So I thought that to me, it's more like those little subtle things than, yeah, I, just explaining to people like, you know, I did this, I did that. Yeah. Well, Joe, what's, uh, I know your fans are wondering uh, what your life is like now. Obviously you're back at times as, as a Bulls ambassador, but what's a day in the life of Joakim Noah like? You know, just waking up, uh, making ham and cheese sandwiches for the kids. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's why the, that's why the Bulls that that night coming back with my family was big, because for me personally, I've been making a lot of ham and cheese sandwiches and I've been taking these kids <laughs> to school. And I think that they forget sometimes that, yo, I was yeah, I was nice back in the day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to show your kids sometime, man. <laughs> So like, yo, sometimes you got to remind them like, yo, don't, don't get it twisted now. You know, <laughs> I can do more than make ham and cheese sandwiches now. Yeah, I can make Mr. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> exactly. oh. But everything's good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, it's a lot of, you know, I live here in Miami. I'm around my kids a lot more. Um, we were talking about this before Stace, but just having, having the kids around is just, and not having to worry about winning and losing ball games and just like giving them your full attention. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really a, the blessing, you know, just being, being done, being retired so young. Um, and I can really focus on the things that, that matter to me, like, you know, doing things in the community. Uh, I have a lot of projects going on in Africa. Um, you know, me and Luol invested, uh, in our part and, um, owners of NBA Africa and uh, all the pro all the things that come with that and growing the game over there in Africa and building bridges um, 
building bridges from what I have going on in the inner city in Chicago and trying to, you know, build connections in Africa and trying to, you know, build that connection, build that connection. I think that that's something I'm really interested in and trying to figure that out. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I have a beautiful fiance who works her ass off too. So it's, uh, I have, I have a good balance right now and just want to keep it going. That's awesome, man. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know what? I saw you come in and, you know, everybody was, they didn't know what to expect out of you when you came from Florida. <laughs> they all knew that you, you know, you won the championships, but when you, when you came to the draft and, and you had the, you had the, the uh, tuxedo on, I don't think anybody <laughs> knew what to expect. But the one thing I always liked about you, Joe, and I still to this day is you keep it 100. You, you, you're going to work hard. You're going you're gonna to play hard. You're going to be loyal to your teammates. And it still hasn't changed today. And that's great because that's one thing, you know, people sometimes change as they get older. Um, you know, and they, they kind of forget where they came from. You've never done that. And you've always been one of my favorites. You and Joe, you and, you and, uh, don't, no, don't be putting that up. You, are you getting ready? Right? Okay. Yeah. So you, you and Pooh have always been my favorites, man. I, I, and Luol, Luol, Luol dangerous. Y'all have always been my favorites, man. <laughs> I appreciate that, Stacey. You know, you always showed us so much love. You always spoke so highly of us. And, you know, you're the voice. And to see your transition, too. And uh, to see you, you know, before games, like with Nero in, in your little locker room there and just um, just see how comfortable you are as, as somebody who's, you know, the voice of the team is just is, it's cool as well, you know. So congrats to you, too, man. I appreciate that, bro. Hey, Joe, before we let you go, you, Stacy mentioned the suit on draft night, and when you were back here for the game against the Knicks, they had a bobblehead with that. With that. I don't know if you got him for the kids, but Stacy's always told me, I don't know if you can see in the screen here, that his bobblehead, his talking bobblehead, is a collector's item that they're selling them on eBay for, like, all kinds of crazy dollars. Do you think the Joakim Noah bobblehead is going to rival the talking Stacy King bobblehead? Man, I don't know. The talking Stacy King Rattlehead is probably you know all time flat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big, you know, Joe. It's pretty big, Joe. It's that's pretty big. Big time. It's big. I'll tell you what, Joe, we had such a wonderful time catching up with you. We wish you good health and happiness down in Miami, and we'll look forward to every visit when you come back and uh, cheer on Billy Donovan and the Bulls. Stacy's got him with uh, 50 wins and, and making some noise in the playoffs. Yes, what do you think? Yes, yes. I think they're going to win 50 games. I, listen, people are starting to realize how good a coach Billy Donovan is. Um, you know, last year's team, um, you know, they won, you know, you know, I think it went, what, 28 yeah, games? Yeah, played 72 Okay, so, so, so the thing last year with that team, it wasn't really an NBA roster. Like, they didn't have all the players that he needed. But they still were in yeah. the top 12 defensively in defensive ratings, uh, defensive numbers with that team. And now you look at his team now, they're like in a top five. And he's finally got a team that he can do some things with. You know, the way he coaches, the versatility of the lineups, man. I, I just love Billy D. I talk to him on the plane all the time. Man. He's one of the coolest dudes um, that, I, that I've ever been around. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, and it's it, it starts with your coach, you know, it's like that's that's your identity. And, um, you know, more than just a great coach, he's just he's I mean, I have stories for him for, about him for days of just, you know, this is like one of the top humans uh, I've come in contact with. And, you know, he's the head coach of the Chicago Bulls. So, I mean, people 
the Bulls are in good hands, man. Yeah. You know, the guy who's driving the guys who the guy who's driving the ship is is he's the best. He's one of the best humans I know. Like, forget coaching. So, um, you know, I'm 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 super proud of that. And man, Bulls are looking like it's gonna be it's playoffs and it's battles. What more can you ask for? Right. You know, like you got playoff battles. You know, the building's gonna be rocking. Like that's what it's all about. And then we go from there, you know, you against, you know, it's what it's all about. Yep. Those yep. playoff battles is what it, it, there's, there's nothing better than that play waking up and you got the playoff games and it's, it's, you know, it's going to be a war and you know, the bulls are going to put their, the bulls are going to be in that position. And what, what more can you ask for? Have you uh, have you vacationed in Cleveland anytime soon? Are you planning on going there? <laughs> Hell no. I can't go over there. I'm a, it's, it's dangerous for me over there. It's like 10 years ago, people were still talking about that. Like, I, I can't go. I'm a target. <laughs> that had to be one of the greatest quotes ever. <laughs> ever. When I was in, um, where was I? In Tulum, like, three months ago and some guy was like, Hey man, Hey man, you Steven Adams? <laughs> no, nah, man, I'm not Steven Adams. And he's like, just, you know, he was just coming at him like, yo, just like, what's your, what's your deal? And he's like, man, I'm from Cleveland, bro. And I don't like that shit. You said <laughs> I was coming at me the whole night. And I was just like, bro, just like, it was 10 years ago. Just, Let it go. Ago. And you're on vacation. <laughs> It's like, come on, man, chill. This guy was still pissed, man. This guy from Cleveland was pissed off. That that honestly is one of the greatest one of the greatest cloak quotes by a player. That seriously was. Yeah, I, was. When he said that, man, I was like, "Ooh, there's gonna be some backlash on this." <laughs> and ten years later, it is. We're still talking about it. Well, you ain't lying. Eh? Hey, I don't feel you, brother. That's not one of my favorite places to visit either. <laughs> I don't know if I'd had the nerve to say it though, Joe, but you did. Oh, you said what we all wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> the great Joe Kim Noah, one of the all-time Bulls fan favorites. Joe, happy holidays to you and your family, and, and thanks so much for being a part of Give Me the Hot Sauce. Yeah, I appreciate you guys, man. Nothing but love. We're going to send you some hot sauce, too. Yeah, we send some hot sauce your way. Peace. All right, boy. All right. Take it easy. Be well, Joe. Hey, Bulls Nation. If you like hot sauce and barbecue sauce, then you're listening to the right show. Give Me the Hot Sauce has the best small batch organic sauces to spice up your kitchen. Chicago-style red sauce with garlic twist. Our St. Pat's Verde's green sauce with extra avocado and cilantro. And our King's Q, a bold spicy sweet sauce <laughs> just like me use code hot sauce 21 to get 21 percent off your first order that's hot sauce 21 for 21 percent off order yours today for the holidays and remember she'll like it too <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect gift for christmas if you're looking for that distinctive thing for the sports fan in your life 
They open that. They're going to be smiling from ear to ear. They got the King's special barbecue sauce or the St. Pat's Verde or the original hot sauce. So make sure to get your order in today so that the shipping gets there in time for Christmas. I want to thank Joakim Noah, man. He was so great. And I know he's going to appreciate getting some hot sauce that we mail off to him. Yeah, I mean, you know what? He's always been one of my favorites. Yeah. And uh, just, just not for just what he does on the court, but what he does off the court. He's a stand-up guy, uh, loyal, you know, and just, just really... You know, when you're around him, there's this buzz about him when you're around him. You get this energy yeah. around him, a jolt of energy. So it was great having him on the show today. I had a kick out of him laughing when you brought up the quote of Cleveland. What's so cool about Cleveland? You like it here? <laughs> uh, I never heard anybody say they didn't want to go to vacation in Cleveland. But that was one of the greatest quotes, yeah. you know, one of the greatest sound bites I've ever heard a player say. It still know. gets played. I mean, during yeah. the playoffs, people play that like, can you believe that somebody yeah. said this? And, and, you know, people from Cleveland took it personally. Right. So, I mean, Joe, he, he just said it. I mean, even yeah. 10 years later, you know, he's on he's in a, a resort in Mexico and a guy wanted to attack him for oh, saying man. it. So, That's yeah, it's, it, it was funny. Yeah, let's talk about the current Bulls a little bit. Obviously, they had a little bit of a bump in the road. They lost three out of four, but they came back with an overwhelming offensive performance against Charlotte. Season high, 133 points. They shot 60% from the field, 35 assists. That was fun to watch. Well, Mark, I mean, you know, they're, they're going to have some ups and downs. They had a lot of guys out of the lineup. Vuce just got himself back in the lineup. Kobe White and both those guys are trying to find their rhythm. And so it's been a little bit, it's been a little bit tough for those guys, you know, and we definitely need Vooch to play well. If, if Vooch does like he did last night against Charlotte, scores 30 and gets yeah, like 15 yeah. boards and a couple of blocks and assists, we're going to be tough to beat. That's the Vooch we need to see every night. That's the all-star Vooch that we, you know, we saw in Orlando. Uh, that's the all-star player that, you know, people know, and he's got to play at that level. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with just understanding you know, where he's going to be on the floor, where he's going to get his shots, his points, you know, playing with different people. You know, Vooch is used to being the man. He's used to being, like, the number one or number two mm -hmm. option. In Orlando, everything ran through Vooch. You know, the you know he was up at the top of the circle. He touched the ball on every single possession. But on this team, and then last year, he was the number two guy with Zach, so he touched the ball a lot. But on this team right now, you know, he's not the number one option. And it's not by choice. It's because you got Zach on one side, you got Demar on the other. Both those guys are in the top five, top six in scoring. Mm -hmm. You got Lonzo Ball that that is the true point guard. So there's so many more people, so many more pieces in this chain that makes him have to adjust his game a little bit. And I think once he figures out how to adjust that game, maybe he doesn't average 23, 24 points a game, maybe he averaged 18, but he still gets 14 or 15 rebounds. He was pretty honest in his post-game comments re referring to a lot of the things you just mentioned. He said that when he was in Orlando, he was the guy, and that he was always going to get a lot of touches automatically. And he had to learn again how to fit in with a group with a couple of isolation scores in, in Zach and DeMar. And, and he says now he's starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in the offense, but he was never worried about his shooting. I mean, he's a career almost 50% shooter. That wasn't going to be a problem. So it was good to see him you know, come out and have a game like that. And I think it's really going to bode well for the rest of the season. Well, you know, we've, we've got the Knicks coming up. we got the Brooklyn Nets mm -hmm. this weekend. So we definitely need him to play big because he didn't play in the last game, the last time we played the Knicks. And we did win, but it was a tough game. We could have used him, you know. Mm -hmm. um, we could have used him out on the West Coast trip. I mean, you know, especially in Portland when we needed to slow down a little bit and get some, you know, easier baskets. Um, we could have used him in that game. But I really like the way this team bounces back from adversity. 
You know, they don't, you know, they lose a game. They don't, they don't sulk. They don't, you know, let it stay with them. They get on to the next one. And, you know, Indiana came in there, you know, after the Knicks win, the big win against the Knicks on, on a Monday night or on a Sunday night. And then you play in the Monday night against the Pacers who, when you look at their record, you're saying, oh, we should beat them. But they still are a very good basketball right. team. And I think what they, what they showed, you know, you can look at it one or two ways. The Bulls were tired from the 10-day road trip and then the Knicks. Or was this really the Indiana team that's a playoff caliber team that now they're starting to get everybody healthy? Mm -hmm. Is this going to be a team that's going to be a thorn in the Bulls' side? Because just watching that game where where the, the problem was, was that they were much more physical than we were. They punched us in the mouth from the very start. And then they're two inside guys, you know, which when we go small, if you go small against the Chicago Bulls, there's going to be a pretty good chance you're going to lose. Okay. Right. It's when you have dominating big guys that can that can rebound, offensive rebound, score in the post, uh also pick and pop. When you have those types of bigs and you utilize those bigs against the Bulls smaller lineups, that's where the Bulls have problems. One of the things I noticed yesterday that really stood out to me was that I thought we saw another step in the the maturation, the growth of Zach Levine as a leader. There were reports in the morning that Zach, you know, wasn't feeling well, uh, had some flu-like symptoms, was running the temperature, and and a lot of guys during the course of an 82-game season will say, you know, that's all right, I'll, I'll sit this one out, let the other guys carry it. He made a point of getting out there and playing, and not only playing, but playing well. 25 points, made some big baskets to hold off a Charlotte rally in the second half. I think it says a lot, because a lot of people, you know, there's mixed emotions about Zach. Some people think that he's an empty stats guy, and, and he's always said, the only thing I care about is winning. And he's showing that with what he's doing on and off the court this season. Well, I mean, to be a leader, you've got to lead. You know, and these are situations, you know, Michael Jordan didn't miss games because right. he was sick. Michael, Michael Jordan didn't miss games because his toe hurt or his, his ankle hurt. He played. You know, Scotty didn't miss games. So when your leaders are playing, then it sends a message to everyone below them. Like, I can never miss. When I was on those teams, you could never miss for being sick unless I had 105 degree right. temperature. And then even then, I'd probably be dead. <laughs> so, 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 but you couldn't miss if your star players, your, your best players didn't miss. So, you know, and I think Zach sent a message like, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a leader of this team. You know, I can't miss games. I got to go out there. If I can walk and I can move around, I'm going to play. And so I think that showed a lot. He's also been playing with a hurt thumb. Most guys would have set out. Maybe Zach would have set out, you know, three years ago when yeah. the team wasn't winning and there was no need to go out there and press it and hurt himself, especially in a contract situation year. Maybe he sits out. Maybe his agent makes him sit out. But I think he realizes this team has a chance to be good. He's a big reason why this team is good. And he's going to go out there and, and, and you know, DeMar's lacing them up. Because when you're in the locker room, Mark, you know about everybody else's injuries. Right. Okay, the outside people don't know. You know, the media doesn't know, fans don't know. But when you're in that locker room, there could be guys out there, you know, DeMar could be nursing something, but he's showing up every night. You know, uh, Lonzo Ball could be hurt, and no one knows this but except in that locker room. And so when you got guys seeing people that are hurting or going out there and playing, it makes everybody, you know, tighten up the bootstraps and let's go. One of the guys you always, you and Adam always talk about on the broadcast is Alex Caruso, and 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 he just brings a smile on my face watching him because it is it is all determination, all out effort, and he makes so many game changing plays that I, I think the average fan maybe doesn't notice, but you guys always pine him on on the broadcast. He is so important to this team's success, and I think uh, the fan base is really starting to realize that. Now. Well, I, I saw how important he was when he wasn't in that Indiana game. You know, he missed that Indiana yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, the energy level wasn't there. See. You know, AC forces everyone to play at a higher level. 
You know, he's a guy like he's a coach on the floor. He he'd be if he was a football player, you know, other than a cornerback, a shutdown corner, he'd be a middle linebacker. Yeah. He'd be a singletary. <laughs> he's telling everybody where to go. Right. He's coaching guys up on defense on the defensive end. He, he there was an interesting play the other night. Um, they were running a zone against the Bulls, and he you know he got the ball, flashed the ball to the middle, which I've been saying the whole night, flashed to the middle. He got the ball in the middle, and then he scored a bucket. And Derrick Jones was wide open. He could have thrown him the lob, but he didn't see him in time. And then there was a timeout. He went over to the timeout, and he grabbed Derrick Jones, and he said, hey, look, I saw you at the last second. If you do it again, if you make that same cut, I'll get you that pass. Yeah. And you and we had it on the broadcast. You could see him actually telling him where to go, and he was pointing up like, I'm going to throw the lob to you. On the very next play, they were in the zone again, and he – got to the middle and he threw that lob and that just shows you one his basketball IQ and then two understanding situations of the game at that moment you know that no moment is too big for right. him that you know what what are the chances of that play happening on a back-to-back situation you know against good defensive team what are the chances not not I mean very slim to none but it was the exact same play the exact same scenario and he made it happen I saw LeVar Ball was in the stands yesterday watching his two sons play. They both played well, had good numbers. Uh, Lonzo, of course, got the victory. What did you make of that whole uh, Ball Brothers battle on Monday night? You know what? It was fun to watch. I mean, to, to have two brothers, you know, play against each other. They're going to play against each other a lot now that they're in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. You know, before it was just once. I think they played once against each other. So, you know, now they're going to see each other a bunch. Listen, you, you love or hate LeVar Ball? You know, you can love or hate him, but the man knew what he was talking about. Sure did. Okay. Yeah. It, it might have come off over the top. It might have came off crazy. Uh, something that no one ever saw before. You know, I, I remember hearing people saying he's a beauty pageant dad. You know, that kind of father. You know, you, you can't tell another man how to raise his kids. No. You, you, you can't, can't tell another grown man how to raise his kids. You may not like the way he, his, his, you know, what he did. You may not like the mechanics of what he did. But I tell you what, he taught those kids how to play basketball the right way. Mm-hmm. And they're not selfish. They're very unselfish. I mean, how many kids that have that kind of pressure that everyone knew who they were coming up from the younger ranks? I mean, LaMelo Ball was playing on the varsity at like sixth grade. Seventh grade. So he'd been playing with his brothers all along, even as a little bitty kid. So you knew just for him being playing with older kids that he was going to be advanced when he got to his own age group. You saw yeah, that. Yeah. You saw that. But but to watch, you know, Lonzo Ball with so much pressure. That team won the state championship. I don't think they lost a game, you know, and they all been on the same team since they were little. And, you know, the dad the dad had kind of drawn the attention away from the kids. You know, all the attention. And that might have been his method to madness. Let me take the pressure. Let me take yeah. all the noise. Y'all just play. Let me deal with all this. And it seemed like that's it worked out. And so I said this last night. I said, you know, the 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 middle son, uh, Leangelo, yeah. somebody better scoop him up. Somebody better scoop him up because if you've watched this kid play, somebody somebody on Twitter said, well, he's only averaging nine points a game or something in the G League. Well, you, you can't base things off the G League because I know for a fact that there are some coaches out there that, you know, keep guys down for a reason, okay, and not allowing a kid to do what he needs to do because the G League is all about developmental. You look at a guy like Seth Curry. He bounced around the G League for a couple of years. He was out in Golden State's G League. Uh, he was he's been on like four or five different teams, not being able to stick. A little longer in Dallas with the Mavericks, and that's how he got you know parlayed that into the Philadelphia deal. He is now 
the most, probably the second or third most important player on the Philadelphia right. 76ers. Yeah. We played them twice this year, Mark, and they're running isolation plays at the end of the quarter for him to get him off. Not a, not Embiid. You know, of course, Simmons is not there, but they're actually running plays for Seth Curry. This is the guy that nobody wanted. He was around the, uh, another guy, uh, Gary Payton III, you know, was in the G League. You know, dad was Gary Payton, a Hall of Famer. Didn't don't want to. No one wants to give him a chance. Well, he's not like his dad. Of course, he's not like his dad. Who is like his he's dad? He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. There's not a lot of people like that. But the kid is athletic. Look what he's doing at Golden State. Golden State gives him a chance. They give him a non guaranteed deal. You come in there. You say, all right, let's see what you can do. He ends up with all these injuries. He ends up getting the playing time and has developed into a nice rotational player, uh, a specialty player defensively, picking up guys full court, being physical, and he's a much better athlete than his dad. I mean, you see some of his highlights on a highlight almost every single night with a lob dunk or a spectacular block. And sometimes these coaches in the in the in the NBA um, or these NBA personnel guys, you know, they look at what a guy can't do instead of looking at what can this guy do because not everybody can be a Demar Derozan or a Zach Levine, but you got to find guys stopgap guys. So this guy's a specialist. You know, Leangelo, he makes threes. He's got high basketball IQ. His brothers are in the league. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He just needs an opportunity to show what he can do. And if and just just I said this many years ago to to the powers that be. I said when Giannis wasn't Giannis yet, and he was just he was like you know he was getting better you know the first couple of years. I said go grab the brothers. Yeah, yeah. go grab the brothers. Bring them on. Whoever the Lakers who, tried whoever that. would have done it. Grab the brothers. Yeah. Put them on your G League team. Put them on your your NBA team. Let them let them tell their older let them, let them tell Giannis, man, it's great here. They got a great Greek community. La la la. I would have hired the mother. I would have <laughs> hired the mother to come in there, and she could have been our chef. She could have made all the Greek food she wanted. She'd been yeah. the head chef to just to get Giannis because it's like recruiting. It's like you know when you go back in the olden days, they they to get a top recruit. They go, you know, is illegal, you know, statute of limitations. <laughs> but they would hire your parent, hire your mom sure, or dad yeah, at a yeah. job just to get you to come to the university that they wanted you to come to. So yeah. you so you know, at the pros, you're not governed like that. You could you could actually do those kind of things and not have to worry about it. Well, LeVar was on a show the other day, said he wants to have all three of his brothers playing Chicago. He's always said sons, that. He's always said that. He's always said he want all three of them playing together. So yeah. if you're hearing this, if you're, I'm not saying AK or anybody else, yeah, yeah. but anyone who has the opportunity, because look, we're halfway there right now. We've got one. Charlotte's got the other. Okay, and then there's one just kind of floating around right now. That's like a like a like a chess piece. One of yeah. whoever's going to grab him first. Then you're ahead. Then you get two, and then there's one left. Right. Okay, so you got two of the brothers, and you got one that's still on a rookie contract. If it went that way, see, Charlotte had a chance to sign Leangelo at first, and then they they signed him to come to training camp, and then they cut him right before training camp. I think he's playing for their G League. Yeah, yeah, but well, yeah, but the story is he got cut before yeah. training camp. Didn't even come to training camp. Got cut. the The younger Mello was so upset about it. That he made a comment about it. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, we re-signed uh, Leangelo to the G League team. <laughs> you know, because they knew, like, wait a minute, we upset our star player. Yeah. This could, this could hurt us. Stuff. So you got to be careful with that. So now he's in the G League team, but he's not playing a lot. And I don't know if he's officially their property, but if he wasn't, man, if I was a team out there, I'd be like, hey, come on. Come on over to my G League team, and we're going to develop this kid. Because if you watch him, even the father said he's the best shooter of the three, and, and Lonzo's shooting almost 45% yeah. from the three-point line. So you telling me he's better than Lonzo? 
And 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 Lamelo shot last night. I mean, he's got Steph Curry range. He comes off. He comes off the screen. I'm talking ten feet behind the line and lets it go. And it's it's an ugly shot, but it goes in. Yeah. So if he's the better shooter of the three, what is that telling you? If these guys shooting the way they're shooting, whew, hey, we got a spot for. Well, Stacey, you know what goes on in the G League, and you coached in the yes. CBA, and I'm broadcasting G League games, and Lance Stevenson is playing for the Grand Rapids Gold. He came into Now Arena the other week, and he almost lost his mind because, you know, you're playing with teammates. All they're worried about is their stats. Yeah. And he's coming from the NBA, coming from a winning program in Indiana. He's bounced around, of course, lately. But he, he was almost ready to fight his teammates. You know, it's like, yeah. is somebody going to run a play? Is somebody going to do something the way we, we do it in the NBA? And it's... It's everybody's just out for themselves. So I'm sure that that's the problem. That's the problem when you have a high basketball IQ and you are playing on a team where guys are trying to. The the problem about the minor leagues is is that everybody thinks the NBA needs scores. Everybody wants to score. If you're coming from the I used to tell my kids when I was coaching the CBA, I said, listen, if you think for a second that an NBA team is going to bring you up to score, you're sadly mistaken. Right. The first thing they they're going to bring scores. you up, the first thing <laughs> they're going to do is, is they're bringing you up for practice purposes yeah. Yeah. to see what you can do in an NBA environment. That's the first test. If you get through that right there, that's a 10-day contract right there. So you get through those 10 days of practicing and doing drills, and then all of a sudden now they say, well, let's, let's investigate a little bit more with this kid. He's got a little skill set, boom, boom, boom. They give you another 10 days. And now, now you might get in the garbage time. Yeah, you know, right. I had a player on my team named Mike James. Okay, yeah. and for America, if you don't know who Mike James is, look him up. He came from the Rockford Lightning. He was uh, one of the uh, last cuts in uh, Miami's training camp. That was the year they drafted Eddie House, and they had they had Tim Hardaway was still there, and they were it was an older Tim Hardaway. So Mike got Mike got invited there as a free agent. He played in France in the in the uh, Division One, so he's making a lot of money in France. And he decided he wanted to give the NBA tries from Duquesne. He didn't get drafted, so he went overseas. So he comes back, and I'm coaching in Rockford. And uh, the Miami Heat, you know, Randy Fun and, and the front office called me and they said, hey, look, you know, we want you to, you know, we know you, we know you're going to coach him up good, mm-hmm. da, da, da. Can you keep him in the States? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll try. I mean, I, it's up to him and his agent. He's like, we really want him because we feel like he'll be, you know, we're going to call him up on the first call ups, which was like, you know, uh, December. He's going to get called up. They said he's going to be the first call up. We really like him. We just don't have the spot for him on the roster right now because we've got all these guaranteed contracts. So I called the kid up and his agent. I said, hey, Mike, you know, this is Stacy. Hey, Stacey. Oh, man, I followed you at Oklahoma. Blah, blah, blah. I said, well, good. This might be a, a quick recruiting trip. Then I might be able to get him without having to, you know, give him this full spill. So he says to me, he says, you know, I said, hey, you know, we got a point guard spot. You're going to start for me from day one. You know, I'm going to get you called up. You're going to be one of the first call us. Miami wants you to stay here. So he's like, I don't know, coach, man. I'm making almost a million dollars overseas. And, yeah. you know, I mean, to see how much can you offer me in the CBA? I said, you know, some Doritos and a, and a fan <laughs> of orange drink and $300 a week. That's all I can offer you, a rookie salary. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And I would kick in something else for him just to, you know, to help him out. He's like, my, you know, my girl, my, my wife's going to have a baby. And I, yeah. you know, I got to think about my future. And I said, Mike, listen to me. I said, Miami said you're going to be their first call up in December. If you just hold on, you're going to be up on, you know, Miami's team. Yeah. So he went back and thought about it. And then he called me. I said, coach, I believe in you. You know, I, I'm going to trust you. And I think you know what's best for me. So I'm going to stay. So he ended up staying. He had, let me tell you how good this kid was. He had the, oh, now the CBA has been, is, is around just as long as it may be longer than the NBA. Okay. So 
in the in, in the CBA history, there has never been a quadruple double ever in the history. There's always been triple doubles, but no quadruple doubles. This dude had two within a week period. <laughs> And there was some good, it wasn't like there was no, like, you know, the CBA had great competition. A lot of the NBA players, you had John Starks came from the CBA, Anthony Mason came from the CBA. You had a lot of great players come from the CBA. And to put up, you know, the, the, you know, two uh, quadruple doubles within a week period of time. And the crazy thing about it was, (laughs) so... I we you know I brought my team up to practice at the Berto Center. You know Jerry said you know I want to see your team da da. And I said we were running the triangle. Bill Carter was running the triangle. So I said oh cool. So I, I brought him up and uh, we practiced at the Berto Center. And I had been telling Jerry because BJ was the assistant general manager at the time. And I had told BJ I said I got this kid Mike James. I said he and that's I think uh, Khalid Elamin was the point guard. It was yeah. a bad team. Yeah. You had uh, AJ Guyton from Indiana was their starting point guards. I mean it was just a bad team. And Mike would kill those guys. I told him, I said, Mike would eat these guys up. He knows the triangle. He knows both guard spots and he can even play some small forward if you want. So I bring him up and the great Jerry Krause who knows talent tells me, he's out. He's too small. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a combo guard. He's too small. I said, Jerry, what's the difference? I said, the triangle doesn't have a point guard. Yeah. A traditional point guard. It's a combos guards. Anyway, I said, Ron Harper was a combo guard. I, I said, you know, Steve Kerr was a combo guard. Uh, John Paxson was a combo guard. They weren't your, like, traditional point guards. Yeah. And I said, this kid can run circles around the guys you got. And he's like, I don't know. He's too small. <laughs> too small. So, BJ, BJ, you know, had came down and watched him play. And I said, I, I told Jerry, I said, Jerry, when this kid gets called up, don't be telling me why didn't you tell me about him? Because I'm telling you about him before anybody. only team that knows about him is Miami. No other team knew about him. Yeah. And I said, when he plays his first game, everybody in the NBA is going to know about him. And he's like, oh, I don't know. He's just too small. He's just, <laughs> you know, Jerry. Jerry's always like, if Jerry didn't discover him, then yeah, he's no sure, good. Yeah. See, I discovered him. Yeah. So I don't know what I'm talking about. Stacey, <laughs> you're good at what you're doing, but you don't know talent like I do. I'm like, okay. I said, I, I, he will be the first NBA call up. And Jerry's like, I don't know. So lo and behold, first game, like 35 points, 14 assists, you know, eight steals. You know, unbelievable game. San Antonio calls. Right, I mean, after the first game, and that's Tony Parker's first year as a rookie. They had Terry Porter running the point yeah. guard spot. Terry Porter was was hurt, and they didn't want to put Tony Parker in there, so they wanted to get a more of a veteran type of guard. Which Mike was still Mike was like twenty four, so it was older than Tony because Tony was eighteen, I think, eight seventeen, eighteen years old. And so the Spurs wanted to call him up, and so I called Miami. I said, "Hey, y'all, y'all better get this dude now." And then, so like a week went by, and uh, he did, he didn't go to San Antonio. A week went by, and then he put up the quadruple doubles, like two quadruple doubles within seven days. So he played like maybe ten games in the CBA, averaged like thirty points a game, yeah. like ten assists, ten rebounds, and ten steals or something like that. So he had those quadruple games, and then everybody was calling New Jersey. Everybody was calling. So I get on the phone, I call Jerry. Jerry, you better get on this kid, man. He's gonna be gone next week. Uh, BJ said, you know, I don't know. He's not better than what we got. I'm like. Oh. I said, all right, <laughs> I try to tell you. Then all of a sudden, I called Miami. I said, Miami wasn't going to bring him up till December because they had no room for him because they had all these guaranteed contracts. And they had Eddie House was their number one pick. And you know how teams feel when you have a number one pick. They don't want to be going to the, to the right. you know, G League or the, the CBA makes to bring, look bad. makes them look bad. Yeah. So that's why they held off on him. But then when they found out that he was being courted by everybody, like, oh, you tell him he's going to get on the plane, we're going to send him a ticket right now. 
and he was gone. Yeah. And he never looked back. He never came back to the. He ended up parlaying a like a two year deal there. Went to went to like Boston and played for Rick Pitino, and then signed with the Pistons during the championship um, when their championship run, and signed a big year, you know, big uh, multi year contract there. So he got paid. And the cool thing about it was was this kid was so uh, such a hard worker, the work ethic. He would call me, Mark, like practice would be at ten o'clock. He would call me like at 6.30, say, Coach, can you meet me at the gym at 8.30? Yeah, sure, let's go. I'll meet you there. He would shoot a 1,000 jumpers, you know, working on only game shots, you know, ball handling. And all the other kids would look at him like, oh, he's just trying to brown nose for Coach. He's just trying to get on Coach's good side. I go, no, he's got NBA aspirations. Maybe y'all might want to jump on board. This isn't the same Mike James who played for the yeah, Bulls. Yeah, played for the Bulls. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and he yeah. played till he was almost 40. Yeah, he played till he was almost 40. Yeah. yeah. And okay. he, probably, he probably still could play right now. I mean, he's, I'm sure he's killing yeah, guys in the rec yeah, center. Yeah, he's killing yeah. the rec center right now. They're 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 getting ready to hang up his T-shirt up in the rec center because he's been dropping numbers. <laughs> right next to Timmy Whisper's jersey, right? Oh, Tim, no, his number never got retired. Yeah, no, we vetoed that. And we want to shout out our guy Timmy Whispers. Yes. He's got some high level business going on, so he's not with yes, us today. Yes, he's down at the uh, McCormick place yeah. trying to sell medical uh, stuff, medical supply stuff, and but he, he was left at the game in, last night. He left us in the trusty hands of Pavel. Yes, so we're yes, good. DJ Pavel. You know, DJ Pavel. He's he's been. Uh, you know, mixing and, and matching up here, and and uh, we feel very confident in Pavel's ability. Yeah. Hey, I know another guy was probably at the game last night is our buddy Jeff Vukovic. You know, when it yes. comes to your insurance for your home, auto, or business, make sure you contact the king of insurance, nationwide agent Jeff Vukovic at jeffvuk.com. That's jeffvuk.com. And Stacy, you, you almost. Uh, Broke the ratings yesterday with the the version yes. of the nationwide jingle. You gave him you gave him the yes. long form. I gave him the Jill Scott version last night. Yeah, Adam from, almost fell out of his chair. I know he did. He, he almost jumped out of his chair. He couldn't believe it. You know, I catch. I, look, I take it to another level. Okay, yeah. because you know everybody. I was the first one of all the broadcasters that's in, right that, that sang this, and now you know everybody else like and nationwide's on your side. So yeah. I, I thought I you know back <laughs> in the day I thought I'd add a little pizzazz to it. Yeah. So I started singing it, and now it's a staple of every game, and it's a staple of the Give Me the Hot Sauce show. So last night I decided, because I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take it to another level. So I'm going to make people follow me instead of like, because it's easy to go nationwide is on your side. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then, you, then you don't look original. But when you go out the way to be to sing another verse to it, <laughs> now you're original. That's now right. I'm going to see how many people follow the king to the top of the mountaintop. That's right. There ain't going to be too many people. I don't think long. anybody's going to try that. So no. America, I'm going to give you the remix of the version, the longer version that we sang last night. Are you ready? Someone you can rely Who's always on your side That's why there's nationwide That's why there's nationwide Nationwide is on your side (laughs) Give me the hot sauce Don't be laughing, Pavel Pavel don't be laughing (laughs) Pavel enjoyed it He's going to run right out and get a policy You know yeah, that's right. I'm not just a I'm not just a basketball analyst. I'm an entertainer. I'm an entertainer, America. Nationwide is on your side, so make sure you contact our buddy Jeff Vuk. That's for my man all Jeff Vuk. Insurance needs. That's for my man Jeff Vuk. Because, like, listen, Jeff Vuk believes in us when no one else did. That's he right. He's one of the first people to step up. Him and Bubble Up. Those are the first two people that stepped up to the show and, and sponsored yeah. us. And we appreciate so, it. And we really appreciate it. And that's why I do what I do for Jeff. Hey, before we get out of here, it's been a wild weekend in college football with coaches Woo! just jumping here, there, and everywhere. And I know it started out with something that, that probably bothered you with Lincoln Riley 
bolting the Oklahoma program to go to USC. And, and you wonder, is that really a good move? I know financially it is because you got a ton of money, but Mark, USC, is, it's not easy to win Mark, anymore out there. Let me tell you something. America, when you're one of the greatest Sooners of all time, yes, I am one of the greatest <laughs> Sooners of all time, I get inside information that no one gets. Of course. Okay. So I turned over a few rocks. Yeah. Got some, got met in a dark alley with some people, you know, <laughs> a couple of people wore Groucho Marx masks. They didn't yeah. want to be seen. Okay. So word has it that Lincoln Raleigh was not excited about the SEC move. Okay. Oklahoma's move yeah, yeah. to the SEC. Yeah. That was more financial gains and for the university. But as a football standpoint, he did not like that move. And it's not the fact that he felt like they can't compete. It's the fact that, you know, when you're going there, you know, you've been dominating the Big 12 with Texas and Oklahoma State for so long that you know every year you got a chance to play for the national championship or at least be in the final four yeah. with the way the new polls are and stuff. And all you got to do is just win your games. And now you're saying, I got to go to the SEC. I got to play Florida, Georgia, Alabama. You, know, Alabama, you know, all these SEC teams, LSU, LSU and I got to play all these teams now where I knew I could go undefeated or maybe lose one game in the Big 12. Now there's a possibility I could lose two, three. Yeah. And then on top of the recruiting, to have to recruit against those schools at whatever school you're at. Let's say he went to LSU. Or let's say, you know, he stays at Oklahoma. Oklahoma still, you know, would get top recruits. But you're still going up in the SEC against some powerhouse schools. You're not going to get everybody that you wanted to get like you would get at Oklahoma. Because the allure of Oklahoma to recruits was – Okay, yeah, we don't we we can avoid Alabama and Georgia. We can play for national championship every year we go to Oklahoma. That was the allure of all the recruits coming. Now that allure is not there because now you're saying we're going to the SEC in a few years. We you know, he didn't want to do that. So he was like, you know what? I don't like the way he did it. I don't like the way he did it because, you know, it's betrayal to your team. You know, because now the rumor is is that maybe he didn't coach as well as he should have coached against Baylor when they lost or against Oklahoma State this past weekend in Bedlam. You know, maybe he left things on the table. You know, there's a whole bunch of rumors going around of why he didn't win those games, you know. And to see him just, you know, hightail it out of there, all these coaches, you know, how, how can you be mad at players now transferring? The, the, the portal now is just opened up. You know, it, it's like the Avengers. You know, they, <laughs> they're just, jumping, they're out, just yeah. jumping out. Everybody can leave now. Yeah. You know, the number one recruit uh, in the class of 2022 or 23 that signed with Oklahoma originally, a five-star quarterback out of Southern California, you know, now has reneged on that. And now he's just signed with USC. Of course. Yeah. So, so this has been, this wasn't something that just happened a week ago. This is something that's been talked about behind the scenes for a while and that they knew that. And I guarantee you that Lincoln Riley was telling all of those recruits, because all of them now have reneged, all their top guys have reneged. And I guarantee he was telling them, like, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to go to USC. Come on, you know, wait, don't sign anything yet. Boom, yeah, boom, yeah. boom. And that's what happened. Now they're supposedly bringing Bob Stoops back. So he's going to be kind of like the Night King in uh, Game of Thrones. He's going to try to resurrect the program because we are hurting right now. It's 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 really bad because now you know we're not going to be we're, we'll be in a, an average bowl now because we lost two games you know um, we had an outside chance to get in the final four had we beat Oklahoma State and we lost you know we never lose Oklahoma State but it, it's just bad it's a bad time right now but the Sooners will be back. We'll be back. It's Stoops going to be a candidate for the permanent job, or he's just going to coach the one game and I, go I back think, to broadcast? I, I, I honestly think he's going to take the job again. Oh, okay. Because he's familiar with it. He won there. 
Um, it's, he still makes home in Oklahoma. And, you know, he did that. You know, he got out of football, college football, and went to that pro league or whatever that ended up folding or whatever. It was terrible. And I, I guarantee you that something happened at Oklahoma to make him leave the first time. I can't believe he just burnt out. Because if you burnt out, why would you go coach pro? You just go home and play golf or whatever and do whatever, spend time with your family. If you're burnt out, that means you don't want to do anything that has to be related to football. You don't even want to commentate it. You just want to stay at home. So it tells me that he still wants to coach. He was waiting for the right opportunity. And he doesn't want to go to SEC. He don't want to go to SEC. But with Oklahoma, he would go to SEC. Because he does want to play Saban. He does want to play. He's Big Game Bob ain't afraid of them guys. Big Game, <laughs> big game Bob, hey, Big Game Bob has beat Alabama before. Right. They, they shellacked Alabama uh, probably about eight years ago. So Big Game Bob is not afraid of Alabama. He'll go down there and, then, you know, he's got to, like I said, the Night King. He'll be resurrecting all the <laughs> all the zombies up off the ground. Yeah, that Fox st- uh, studio set is a training ground for guys want to get back into coaching. Urban Meyer yeah. spent a couple of years there and then he and went Urban to the Urban Meyer, NFL. I mean, he go back. Yeah. yeah, he might. Well, the talk yeah. was that he might have taken that S, that SC job. Well, he, he might need, he might need to go to Notre Dame because that's the job he wanted, and he passed on it and went to Florida. Um, I could see him. He's saying all the right things now about Jacksonville. Like, no, I'm not going. I'm staying here. That same thing Lincoln Riley said. Yeah. Lincoln Riley, the day before he left his SC, he said, "Now he didn't lie. He said, I will not be Take going to LSU. LSU yeah. I am not taking that job." But then the next day you took the SC job. <laughs> why, you, why weren't you honest right then and say, but I'm looking at that USC job. Yeah, that looks you know, pretty nice. That looks yeah. nice there. So I guess they offered him, I guess because LSU offered him $12 million a year oh, to come coach. So I have to imagine SC rolled back the, yeah. the Brinks truck. Beep, beep, beep. So he didn't take the LSU job, but Brian Kelly did. Brian Kelly yeah. was at Notre Dame for 11 years, had a lot of success. They made the playoff a couple of years. But I think Brian Kelly realized we're not in a conference it's tough to get in that four-team college football playoff. They're not going to get it in this year unless a lot of weird things happen in, in the conference championship games. And I think he just decided, you know what, I can get more money down at LSU and I get a chance to make the playoff every year if, we, if I have a good team. And he already broke the uh, all-time win record in Notre Dame, so his name's going to be etched there for the rest of his life. So he already accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. He yeah. was successful. He won it. He didn't win the national championship, but he played. He played in the Final Four. He's he's won a lot of football games. So now he's like, hey, what else is there for me to do? Because they're like you said, they're not in the conference, so it's going to be very hard for them to crack the top four unless they add teams in their schedule, those powerhouse teams to play like they used to bring Miami yeah, in. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're not doing that anymore. They're playing the Sisters of the Poor. And then you get beat at home by Cincinnati at home. And Cincinnati's well, going to probably play Some of the, the teams that they've scheduled almost every year, teams like Stanford and USC, are teams that have been good in the past. They're just lousy this year. Yeah, they're so terrible. They just brought down their whole schedule. The, the thing that was weird today, though, was that there were reports on Twitter that Brian Kelly spent two minutes telling his team that he had a team meeting – very early this morning, two minutes, didn't wait to hear, hear any questions or, or interact with the team at all. And I was like, my, well, my private jet's waiting to take me to Baton Rouge, so I got to go. Well, here's what I would have done if I was a player and a coach did me that way. After all the blood and sweat and tears that I've given you, yeah. I don't mind you going. Right. You should have. You should be able to to give us a little bit more respect than that. You know, we did everything you asked us to do. We busted our ass for you. You know, we bled. You know, we played when we were hurt. And you can't even give us more than two minutes. So what I would have done is I would have went to the kitchen. I would have got some eggs. So I would have got anything that I could throw at his ass. And as he's walking and waving at people outside, we just egged him. 
He's just yeah. throwing all kind of food, flour, cake flour, <laughs> frosting, steaks, raw meat, whatever. Yeah. You know, Good luck, because, coach. Because I'm telling you, man, it, it's it's really sad because, you know, everybody gets mad at the college athlete when they want to go pro. Right. You know, oh, he shouldn't go pro. How many coaches have you ever heard say, well, he's not ready, you know, because they want you to stay another year yeah, at their yeah. program. So then you get college coaches now, you know, they get paid money, they get all this money, and then, you know, they're like, they're gone to the highest bidder. And I went to school. How many kids went to Notre Dame because of Brian Kelly? How many kids did he come into their household and say, hey, look, I'm going to be there for your whole career? Yeah. You know, and then think about if you were that freshman, that red shirt freshman that he told your parents, he's in good hands with me. He's going to get a good education. He's going to play for a national championship. And I'm going to be here his, four, his whole four years. Make sure he graduates. He's gone now. So it will be interesting to see who replaces Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. There's been some talk about maybe elevating an assistant coach. I believe Marcus Freeman was the name I read. So we'll see what happens on that. I want to tell you a couple of other sponsors that have been part of our show here at Give Me the Hot Sauce, including a local company, Angel Water. It's Chicagoland's largest water conditioning service for healthy water for a healthy you and a healthy home. Angel will test your water for free with the code KING21. Call 847 382 7,800 for a free water test and healthy water plan with the code KING21. Again, that number, 847-382-7,800. It's what Tim Kelly has used for over 20 years. <laughs> so with that kind of endorsement, yeah. Stacey, I'm sure the phone is going to be ringing off yeah. the hook at Angel Water. Yeah, yeah. We remember last week, you talked about boiling his ribs in toilet water. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's Angel Water. So, but, but I mean, you know, I thought about what he said. Yeah. I was like, okay, uh, never eating any more ribs at Tim Kelly's household. All right, last topic before we get out of here. We've been talking about money, and it's been flowing like crazy in Major League Baseball. How about the Texas Rangers paying – $600 million for a pair of middle infielders, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, both great players. That's a whole lot of money. Oh, man. You know where the money should go is pitching. Yeah, but they always break down. They always get hurt. Yeah, but, you know, pitching pitching is, I mean, you get you a durable. Look at Mac, Max Scherzer. You got okay? the money. Max Scherzer, but he's durable. Yeah. He's durable. He's going to give you seven to eight innings every game. But they only play every five days, though. You know. I don't care, Mark. You gotta, you gotta, you know. Unless you're getting a guy like, um, you know, like I would even say, because you know who, you know, you know the the kid from uh, Houston, um, not, not pitcher, no, or the shortstop, the second Carlos baseman, Correa, Altuve, okay. Altuve, oh, Altuve and, yeah. and, and Correa. Yeah. yeah, those are the guys like that you know are gonna play every day. They're durable. Those are the guys. Correa's a free agent too. He can't wait to see what kind of money he's gonna get. Oh yeah. I mean, if if, if Corey Seager got three hundred twenty-five million. Correa's going to probably get 350 You know, and, and I like Carlos. Carlos yeah. is a good dude, you know. He was on um, our show. Yeah, he was on our show. Back. He's a friend of the program. Yeah. He said some stuff about Derek Jeter, though. Did you hear see what he said about Derek yeah, Jeter? Yeah. He, did, he wasn't deserving of those gold gloves. Do you know what Derek Jeter did? Derek Jeter just said, he, he, I know Derek Jeter wanted to say more, <laughs> but Derek Jeter took the high road and says, hey, look, that's his opinion, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, da-da-da. But deep down, Derek Jeter's like, how many championships you won? Right. You know, how many teams do you own? I'm at a whole <laughs> different level, bro. And then, wait a minute. How many starters have you dated? That's right. Yeah, you're not on my level, bro. You're not known for the the Derek Jeter farewell party. And not, and not and not too many people can play in New York City. No, a lot of pressure, that's for sure. I mean, even with the Mets. You know, you saw Javi Lopez. I mean, Javi uh, Baez. And he signed with the Tigers. He's, yeah, he got out of there. He got out of there. He's like, okay, this is enough of this. I can't play down in this place. This is, oh, Chicago. I was spoiled in Chicago. Where's Chris Bryant going to go? 
you know, they've been talking to Seattle, uh, the Phillies, you know, a lot of, not a lot of glamour teams are in on him. So, you know, the Mets spent their money on Max Scherzer three years, 140 million. They also signed uh, Starling Marte, a center fielder. So they've spent a lot of their free agent dollars. It'll be interesting to see where Bryant and Anthony Rizzo wind up. I don't think either of them are coming back to the Cubs. I think the Cubs have, uh, have closed up shop. They signed a backup catcher, Jan Gomes, and uh, free agent outfielder Clint Frazier, who's, you know, not, not done much in recent years. Well, I don't, I don't see Rizzo leaving the Yankees. Yeah, they give him a decent offer. He's a left-hand stick. They didn't like the way the season ended, but he had a great season for Mm -hmm. them coming over. So I I don't see them letting him walk. I don't know how much he's actually worth, but um, I I mean, a a lefty stick, he can play every day at first base. He can DH for you in the American League. Now, that's too valuable if you're – and the Yankees, they're not afraid to spend money. So they'll, they'll do whatever they have to do to keep him. So we're recording this show on a Tuesday evening, and uh, we're expecting a lockout as the Major League Owners and Players Association are far apart on trying to get a new CBA done. But the hope is they can get their business done in time for spring training to start on time. We'll keep our fingers crossed for that. And Stacey, before we get out of here, I know you use Windy City Limo all the time. You want to give them a shout-out? Yes, you know, special shout-out to to my guys at Windy City. I mean, they take care of me. I mean, taking me to the airport, taking me to games, uh, any social events. So, you know, Windy City Limousine provides championship service. Making a reservation is so easy, it's a slam dunk. Let Windy City break the full-court pressure of traffic and get you to your destination in style and on time. Contact Windy City at 866-94-WINDY. That's 866-94-WINDY. And with and all she'll the- like it too. With all the holiday parties coming up, you want to make sure you travel safely. That's our advice. Yeah, 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 you got to, man. Take I a mean, limo. the snow's going to be coming pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, it's getting cold out there. And, um, you know, I, 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 they, they are lifesavers, man. I mean, we got in the other morning, uh, like 2 in the morning. You know, and then my driver's out there. He's waiting for me. I get off the plane. It's nice. cold. Yeah. He grabs my bags and he puts them in there. And then, you know, we go, we have these interesting conversations. Yeah. Like the drivers who pick me up, man, I really love, like, we always have this interaction. We always talk. Yeah. It's not, I don't just sit back in the car and not say anything. Like we have these interesting conversations about the Bulls, about sports and everything. So it's really cool. They're really down to earth. And like I said, to get off a plane at 2, 2.30 in the morning, you just got back from the West Coast trip. You're yeah. tired, tired, exhausted. Yeah and then they're right there right on time right on they know the tail they know the tail number and you know we were delayed too we were delayed like 30 minutes and they you know didn't charge or they were right there on time and yeah um big time man big time wendy said that's all i use so give them a call for all your holiday needs. You know, if you're watching on YouTube earlier, we showed you the Stacy King bobblehead, which yes. is a collector's item. Collector's item. You're also account. making a big splash on social media with these. What's the app you're using? I mean, that is some of the funniest stuff I've oh seen. Oh my god! Man, you're, it's called a Pinata Farms. That's hilarious. Listen, I, listen, America. I saw somebody. I, I, you know, I'm on social media all the time. So I saw somebody do that yeah. before, and I'm like, oh my god, how do they do that? The mouths actually yeah, move yeah, the yeah. heads, and so I've been looking for it, and then finally I found it, and I can't put it down. I like, know. I mean, if, so America, if you follow me on Instagram or um, Twitter, you know, on Twitter, you will see all these little funny videos. I put yeah. people's heads up there, you know, and and it's just different scenarios. You gotta check it out. Oh, uh, it's it is funny. Like I, I mean, I just sit there the whole time, just making videos all the time. Yeah. You know, like Chuck Swirsky last night did his victory dance. Yes, little, is that the first time he did it this year? Yes, yeah, first yeah. time he did it, and we've been winning. I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, yeah. So he's doing his victory dance like that, and and, and, and no, nah, it was terrible. <laughs> you should so, show him the app. So so I put the app. I put the app together. I put his head on a box. 
body and said, this is how you should dance. And it was like, you know, it was like a Michael Jackson type dance. Yeah. But it was it, his head was on the body, and it looked so much better. Yeah, so you got to check that out. Check it out. Stacey's always entertaining the American public. Yes, 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 America. I try to keep you, <laughs> keep you on your toes, and, you know, we have a good time out there. And, oh, last night. It was the battle of not only the battle of the Bulls and yeah. the Hornets, it's the battle of the broadcasters. Oh yeah, I heard you give a shout yeah. out to Eric Collins. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was battle because you know we're we're considered the best of yes. the local yes. market. So the Bulls and the Hornets, you know, and if you talk to either either groups fan base, they're yeah. better than that fan base. Yeah. You know, so we don't get into it. It's just a lot of fun. And last night, you know, um, it was one of those games where, um, you know. We kind of took them out of everything. There was no dunks last night. Miles, I don't think yeah, Miles, Miles, Bridges, Miles Bridges didn't get any dunks yeah. last night. There was no lobs thrown. So I kind of threw a little zinger at the end. I said, yeah. there was no hum-diddly-dees tonight, <laughs> baby. The Bulls took it. There was a lot of hot sauce, but there was no hum-diddly-dees tonight. And then so, you know, Adam's all giggle. You know, Adam's little giggles. Um, but it was a little, it was a fun. Eric, I worked with Eric Collins. My first, uh, my first college games, I was doing yeah. DePaul games. And me and him worked together, man. And he's really, really good. Um, and it's really good to see him doing well in Charlotte. You know, yeah. it's all fun and games. Like, you know, there's no hating on either side. You know, it's all fun and games. Our fan base, the, the key I always tell people with us is that I only care about our fan base. I don't really care about anybody else's fan base. But the one thing that we, me and Adam normally get and we hear a lot of is that we're not homers, that we are, we, you know, we give the other team credit and fans love to hear that. Right. You know, and, um, and I think that just shows you what kind of, you know, what kind of team you because a lot of times you get caught up in just hyping your own team up you know and you know one thing I've always said is I'm never going to be a homer you know when Jerry Reinsdorf gave me this job you know that's the one thing I told him I'm, I'm not going to be you know a homer you know and he said no nah, I don't expect you to the the you know the sports fans in Chicago are way too smart for that call it the way you see it and so of course I see it differently sometimes than everybody else does you know because not only do I see it as a player's perspective? I see it as a coach's perspective. I also see it as a front office perspective too. So I'm getting three different visions, right. you know, which makes it makes me a little bit more um, intense when it comes to certain things. And then I and I add my only brand of humor in there, you know. Um, I always tell people when the, like journalism guys when you know I want to do what you do, and you know what do you, you know what do I got to do? And I said first of all, you know, be yourself. You know, create your own style, create your own lane. Because when I first started this, it was kind of very similar to when I came here as the Bulls. Um, you know, I was really like, you know, a really exciting player. Like I pumped my fist up, get the crowd into it. And when I came here, Jerry Krause told me I couldn't do that anymore. He's like, no, you can't do that anymore. You got to be a professional. I'm like, so I felt like that took a little bit of, of yeah. myself, my personality out of me, you know, and it kind of squelched it a little bit. And then when I started doing broadcasts and I heard the same thing and my, and after the basketball situation, I said, I will never let anybody take what I do away from me again, myself, who I am as a person. If you don't like me, then don't hire me. So that was, that was always my, after that basketball with Jerry Krause, after dealing with that, that's what I always said. But this last time when someone told me in broadcast, like, you can't do that. You got to be straight laced, da, 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 da. I'm like, no, no, no. Because if you think about it, if you're watching a game at home with your friends, some of the things that I say you're, you're saying to your friends, you know, you're, you're saying, except for the cursing, you're probably cursing. I'm not. So, but, but the funny things that I say, you're thinking them, you know? Sure, so yeah. that's why I'm, I'm relatable to people, you know, because they're, I'm saying things, I'm their mouthpiece. I'm saying things that they want to say. But I'm saying it on air, so and then I have my own little my little pizzazz to it with humor and stuff too. So I've had so many people say I should be a comedian. 
You could. One so days, you could do stand-up if you want. One wanted. of these days, I'm going to sneak into a venue <laughs> when it has like amateur night. Because I've, I've been told I should do it. But I'm going to sneak in there and just get on stage. Yeah. No one knew I was going to come, but I just pop up on stage and start doing stand-up and see what happens. Well, we look forward to that. Yes. That, that we'd like to see. There's yes. no question about America, it. America, be ready. It could be in a town near you. It could be in, it could be in uh, Butte, Montana. Be- <laughs> I, don't, I don't see you going to Butte, Montana, but that that's just an example. Ah, give me some guns. Give me some guns. <laughs> Hit the guns. There you oh, go. Oh, <laughs> I've been shot. Hey, Bulls fans are having a lot of fun watching the team put on some exciting offensive displays. They hit the road to play the Knicks and the Nets this week and a lot of other tough games coming up. We want to thank Joe Kim Noah. It was so great catching up with yes. Joe. Uh, he was really candid talking about his life and what's going on now and his experiences playing with the Bulls who – Probably would have won a championship if it wasn't for that Derrick Rose knee injury and some other problems that they had along the way. So we want to thank Joe. Uh, Timmy Whispers, hope you're doing well in Chicago. And special Whispers. thanks to our audio engineer, Whispers. Pavel, who did a great job. You got the closing music for us? Let's hit it. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Episode 57 of Gimme the Hot Sauce. And if you're listening, watch it on YouTube. It's a lot more fun that way. Stacy, bring it on home. Drive home safely, Chicago. Beep, beep. <laughs> and while you're in your car, remember, she'll like it too. <laughs> <laughs>